You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, Today, I'm really excited to be able to sit down with somebody I've been looking forward to meeting and talking to for quite some time, Wyeth Calloway. Uh, Thanks so much, Wyeth, for being willing to come on the podcast. No problem. My pleasure. So um, some of you might already be familiar with Wyatt's work. He's um, on Instagram, and you're also in the Future 4200 um, forums, too, as oh, Dr. Yeah. Jack Hughes. Yep. So uh, you might be familiar with him uh, through through those avenues. Um, but Wyatt, do you mind spending just a, a few minutes here at the beginning for those that might not be familiar with your work, just kind of describe your science background and how you came to work with the cannabis plant? Okay. So uh, I'm a PhD in organic chemistry from uh, UT Austin, graduated in 2004, and uh, moved to the Bay Area about 2008, taught for a couple years, and uh, transitioned to another field. 2016, I had the opportunity to uh, come into chemistry again, doing cannabis at uh, Jetty Extracts, and uh you know, it was, uh, I'm not going to lie, it was like drinking from a fire hose at first. It's, <laughs> uh, it's completely different than the kind of labs I'm used to working in. I'm used to working in synthetic labs, working on gram scale maybe. And, you know, here we've got these, uh, we've got these web films churning out liters. And uh, not only that, so I go from uh, more of an R&D uh, scientific uh, synthetic, uh, uh, you know, aspect of chemistry to more production type of chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a lot of the scientists that I've been talking to involved in the cannabis industry have explained a very similar transition. I went through the same thing with um, analytical science of, you know, being exposed to small scale and then all of a sudden being thrown into like the production high throughput scale. It's a interesting transition um, from that kind of academic and R and D world to production. Um, so can you describe a little bit about, um, Jetty Extracts and some of the work that you've done with them and the types of products, um, that you've been working on making that sort of thing? Yeah. So, uh, early on with, uh, Jetty Extracts, we brought in a, uh, gas chromatograph. A lot of cannabis, uh, companies don't have any analytics. Yeah. Uh, gas chromatograph is kind of the baseline and, um, we chose it because we could look at terpenes and also we can do yeah. uh, cannabis potency. And so what that allowed us to do is start uh, looking at uh, doing things like Delta-8, THCV, um, trying to get some really, really pure uh, Delta-9 extracts. And uh, what's great about having the GC is I can sit and I can work on these projects. And in a couple of minutes, I have an answer on how things are going. Right. So um, what else have we been doing? We've been doing some hybrid uh, pens and uh, some some hybrid sauce pens. We're working on concentrates now. Uh, On tap, probably CBG, CBN. Um, You know, you can't push forward too far um, Mm -hmm. in the, in sort of the retail cannabis industry because you have to, you have to recover, um, you know, your R and D cost. Uh, get the public used to a new product. Right. And, uh, you know, we're really committed to being um, focused on good products rather than cranking out all sorts of 
um, you know, what's the latest fad of the day? Yeah. So, uh, Jenny, we've also been working on remediation, uh, pesticide remediation, commonly mm. see it in the industry, uh, working on sulfur remediation. Some of the, this is, I hope this comes as no surprise to the more advanced uh, cannabis people out there, but people have switched over to using sulfur as mm -hmm. uh, a, uh, I believe it's a fungicide is what they're using yeah. it as. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can really, really mess up um, our downstream process if we don't catch it early. So, uh, you know, we're just focused at, at Jetty. Uh, my focus is on problem solving. Um, one of the nice aspects that we've recently gotten in Jetty is we got a one of the HB1, HB2 short path kits. Uh, my uh, my buddy Breaking Dabs at Breaking Dabs, yeah, he's the one who came up with that design. It's very efficient. Uh, you can get really really pure uh, you know extract out of it. If you take a look at my latest IG, one of my latest IG posts, posts you see a, a nice uh, single source orange creamsicle we did. And the oil is is basically water clear, and that's simply wow. out of that HB1 head, HB2 head. So um, the THCV as well, we're able to do with that very very clear, uh, very high purity. Um, so I would say a jetty. Uh, we're more about uh, refining the products that we've got out there that you'll see uh, this year, and you know we're going to see what plays in next year. Uh, this whole CBD. Um, movement is very interesting from uh, a legal perspective. As you know, California, it's still illegal to bring hemp into a licensed right. facility. So um, I would like to see some CBD products too, but we're just going to have to wait for the law to catch up. Yeah, yeah. It seems like regulators are a little... Um like the hemp stuff got going and there were still a lot of regulators that weren't even aware that, you know, quote unquote, hemp and marijuana are the same plant that's all cannabis and just different chemical profiles and stuff. And now without, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a weird situation to not be able, it's the exact same plant, just <laughs> different chemical profiles, but because of these laws, you have to be careful about what's crossing into what stream and, and then, of course, as well in California and in Oregon, where I am, you know, you've got all the traceability stuff as well, too. So you really can't, you know, have to be really careful about crossing streams because regulatory agencies can, you know, see all of the chain of custody all the way through. And it's pretty tightly regulated. Yeah, you um, know, I'm not going to lie about the whole uh, difference between hemp and uh, um, the drug type uh, plant. Mm -hmm. um, when I first heard about the uh, hemp bill passing and everyone planting all this stuff, I had imagined that it was going to be these giant fiber type right, yeah. hemp plants. <laughs> Much yeah. to my surprise, as I drove to Oregon a month ago, uh, actually about two months ago, there were these stunted little uh, mm -hmm. drug type looking plants. And I was like, yep. wow, harvest is in October. These little puppies have a lot of, lot of height to grow. So <laughs> yeah, they need to stretch a lot. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah, was it's, it's been mind blowing to me seeing, you know, these acres upon acres of these short, squatty, dense, um, C B D rich cannabis plants all over Oregon now. It's just exploding. Um it I likewise when I first, you know, 
several years ago heard about hemp going on, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I'm always interested to see what other uses, you know, people are going to find for the cannabis plant and everything. And then just like you said, I start looking around. I'm like, oh, no, all of these fields are, yeah, drug type cultivars, just CBD rich um, and um, and usually small, small plants a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Not always, but um, a lot of these huge fields are have small plants. Um, to kind of tap in, uh, maybe some of our listeners that might be, um, less experienced with cannabis, can you briefly describe to them, um, some of the primary different ways that cannabis is extracted and those extracts are refined, um, and kind of how those different methods, um, differ from one another and what the sort of pros and cons are and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, um, where should I start on this? That's um, a big question. Right? Um, <laughs> cannabis extracts, let's start with uh, the crazy days when yeah. people were taking glass tubes, filling <laughs> them with either nugs or, uh, you know, cannabinoid-rich trim and blasting them through with these cans of butane. And so the butane will pick up the cannabinoids and the terpenes, and out, out at the end of this glass tube comes this mucky stuff brown stuff, which they're going to uh, purge the butane out and uh, get a cannabis concentrate. So um, that's hydrocarbon. Uh, nowadays, you have these closed-looped extractors, which simply means that uh, the, the uh, cannabis is loaded into these tanks. Um, and what will happen is uh, hydrocarbon, butane, propane mixes, uh, isobutane, everyone sort of has their recipe, will be uh, flushed through these tubes containing, you know, um, the uh, biomass. And imagine this whole apparatus is stainless steel. Uh, it can tolerate very high pressure. And as you flush the solvent through each of these tubes, um, you're going to eventually bring it over to something called a honey pot. And before you do that, you're going to purge the butane with inside the system and it's going to go back into this moving reservoir. So the butane is, uh, or the hydrocarbon is, uh, recycled. Mm -hmm. And once you've extracted all these tubes at that moment, then you can, uh, you can collect everything. I believe you can also collect individually because the uh, system can be, uh, you can, you can pressurize it, close valves, open valves. Um, and uh, do this one. We call it uh, inside the tubes of these things called socks, where the actual plant biomass is loaded into these uh, nylon um, bags, and they go mm -hmm. in these tubes I was describing. So anyway, that's uh, that extract is is uh, method is hydrocarbon. Um, people really like it because you can uh, you can do the extraction in uh, low temperatures. Um, and you can help eliminate a lot of the waxes that are in the plant and mm. uh, get a lighter, uh, very good looking terpy uh, crude. And uh, all you have to purge is hydro hydrocarbons, which are really low boiling. So mm. you can do these in warm vacuum ovens, uh, get rid of all the hydrocarbon, and you, know, you can use it as a raw concentrate or it can go on further to uh, further processing uh, be that distillation or some kind of winterization or make diamonds out of uh, this extract. 
So um, hydrocarbon is one of the, uh, I would say, Conister's favorite ways of doing these, just because of the flexibility of all the concentrates you can get out of it. Um, the next method, it would be uh, supercritical CO2. Mm -hmm. I can't say I'm terribly familiar with the operation of these, but roughly speaking, you're going to uh, pressurize CO2 uh, gas in inside of a, uh, it's also a uh, closed stainless steel uh, extractor. You're going to load your biomass again in these socks and inside a tube, and you're going to pressurize the CO2 until it's a liquid. Because uh, you may or may not know, but it, in normal conditions, dry ice doesn't become a liquid. As it melts, it becomes immediately a gas. So the CO2 is roughly uh, a decent polarity to pull cannabinoids. Um, there is a big debate on conditions and whether you use cold solvents or not. Uh, right. I can't really speak to that. But the extracts tend to have um, more wax in them. Uh, if you don't, remove the terpenes, um, the process of getting the material ready for the CO2 extraction will uh, destroy the terpene profile. Mm. Um, advantage of this, it's eco-friendly. Um, you're only using CO2 and, uh, you know, as opposed to hydrocarbon where you have to do really good purge to get rid of all the butane yeah. and propane, isobutane. Um, on the other hand, so we have more waxes, and uh, in the early days, I would say, uh, at least for Jetty, uh, we didn't have CO2 extraction. Uh, the product was raw. Uh, as far as I understand, the ex extract didn't taste very good. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, people are getting very, very nice uh, extracts out of CO2. Uh, I've seen some really, really uh, interesting, good-looking shatter from CO2. Um, so I'm really not going to knock it. Uh, it's just another beast out there. Uh, right. Unfortunately, the um, machines are fairly slow, um, mm -hmm. and you have to operate at very high pressure. But you will see people still using these. In fact, in uh, hemp, it's uh, one of the interesting ways to go because it can be operated under what's called a Type 6 license in California uh, without volatile solvent. Yeah. So um, yeah. you don't need as much. Uh, you need to worry about uh, fires, um, just mainly pressure. Um, pressure incidents. Um, last but not least, and this has become sort of the giant of the industry, is ethanol extraction. Yeah, yeah. Now, when we were first doing ethanol, um, we were doing it, I believe, roughly around room temperature. Um, mm. And the problem with this is that ethanol is not a very selective solvent at room temperature, and it'll pick up uh, more plant matter, chlorophyll, uh, mm. waxes, probably even some of these uh, fatty acids. And you get a really, really uh, soupy, um, hard-to-deal-with mixture when it's time to cool it down and filter it and uh, just try to get the cannabinoids alone. Uh, we had a lot. We had to use carbon scrubbing uh, mm -hmm. to get out the chlorophyll, a uh, lot of processing with ethanol. Now what people figured out was, hey, well, why don't we do this ethanol at a very, very cold temperature at the temperature you're going to do the so-called filtration winterization step, let's just go ahead and skip a step and do the extraction of those temperatures. And oh, so, yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm not too bright of a guy that I didn't figure that out myself. 
but uh, <laughs> you know we were we kind of we kind of weren't weren't super committed to ethanol. We wanted to use hydrocarbon because of the flexibility. Uh, we weren't just trying to make distillate, distillate, distillate. So the advantage of ethanol is you can do a lot of it very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, disadvantage, you uh, have to remove a lot of solvent very quickly. Uh, yeah. Use a lot of solvent to do these extracts. And uh, you can also have difficulties with uh, maintaining terpene profiles. Um, in the past, a lot of people have gotten around this by adding plant-derived terpenes. So, uh, you know, with the goal of just being make as much drugs as possible. So uh, ethanol throughput and um, I would say ease of use of the equipment. Uh, all the whole process is fairly easy to uh, put under stainless steel, make one continuous process. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there you have it. Uh, I would say the majority of large producers are going to ethanol. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what I've been hearing from a lot of folks, at least um, out here in Oregon that I talked to that are doing extraction. They seem to be moving towards ethanol. Um Primarily for the the reason, like you said, the throughput, um, just how much they're able to to produce, and you know what they tell me is that even though it tends to sell for less money, at least as far as crude goes, they can just produce so much so fast that they make up for it um, in that regard, uh, which, which is interesting. And regarding the issues with maintaining the terpene profile, is that related to like pretreatments before the ethanol extraction, or does that have something to do with the extraction process itself? Um, so, pretreatment of the material, you decarboxylate material when you're going to do a CO2 extraction typically. Yeah. That is, the temperatures at the de- decarboxylation are um, bad for the volatile. Uh, terpenoid, terpene components of the essential oil. Right. Ethanol, you boil it off. Yeah, you're boiling off the lighter components of the uh, terpenoid, uh, lighter terpenoid components of the essential oil. So Perfect, um, yeah. it's, a, it's a compromise. I think a lot of times, um, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, <laughs> right. Cannabis is an interesting plant because if you look at a lot of the plants that are used in a, for their essential oils, essentially the biomass after the, uh, um, the essential oil is extracted, it's, um, I almost use the French word disponible, but um, it's not really de- a desired product. So you can actually take that feedstock and you can uh, use it to, you can burn it, uh, compost it. You know, mm-hmm. in cannabis, uh, really uh, the cannabinoids, um, are, are an important part of the extraction, much more important than the essential oils. So you have this, um, you know, this uh, choice to make. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, always having to to make that balance. And this um, ties into one of the things I wanted to talk to you talk to you about is just like how um, throughout extraction operations, how you manage quality and how you make, you know, those sort of decisions and then how that affects um, how you're, you know, designing your your systems and your methods of refinement and all of that. And I know one of your, your um, one of your primary foci is essential oils and looking at, at cannabis terpenes um, now as, as there's starting to be a, um, a lot of attention on on these fractions of the plan and trying to understand their value um, therapeutically and that sort of thing. 
Um, so can you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, two parts to this one is, um, what is drawing your interest towards the cannabis essential oils? And then how is that affecting how you're managing the quality of extracts from your perspective where you're trying to, you know, weigh that balance between the cannabinoids and the terpenes and, and the other components of essential oils too. So that's, um, I I can talk on that probably for two hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So in terms of uh, quality of the extract and looking at the quality extract, um, it's much easier to forego the terpenes and strip them off uh, and get to your distillate. Um, it's just fewer steps. Mm -hmm. um, you can streamline it more easily, you know, put everything in stainless steel. Um, you know, uh, you know, essentially the terpenoid fraction is an obstacle uh, to getting your cannabinoids. And um, the thing about that is, is if you look at from an aspect of having multiple products, um, you know, dabbing the terpene terpenoid fraction is highly valued mm -hmm. these days. Um, and in the distillate game, not, not really so much. And that was one of the things that sort of interested me because when I first came in, I thought it was a great idea to use plant-derived. Mm -hmm. uh, made made absolute sense to me because um, you have a situation of Rob, Rob Peter to pay Paul with the cannabis plant. Right. Uh, the biomass that you're going to get um, doesn't have enough terpenoid essential oil fraction to properly flavor um, the vape pens or other products you're going to produce um, down the more refined products say you're going to do like a, mm -hmm. a tincture or a topical um, there's just there's just not enough and uh, especially when you have biomass uh, that's dried out little old um, you just uh, you you end up you know in a situation where there's not enough so mm -hmm. That's, I think, the hardest point for people in making a decision to go after these things. The hardest thing is that they need to get biomass and a lot of it, but it's a, really a seller's market. Right. And yeah. the sellers, they're like, it's got the drugs. It's 10% cannabinoids. Do you want it? And if you say, man, then they're like, oh, bye. Yeah. And they're on to the next people who just want the drugs. So um, if you're really after the essential oils of the plant, you're going to have to make your operation vertical. Mm. And I really hate to say that, but that's the only way you can consistently get the same uh, chemo uh right. control the quality of the essential oil, the, the manner in which the biomass is prepared. Um, if you're not doing it, uh, and you're buying batch by batch, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into uh, making sure the essential oils are sativa, are hybrid, are indica. Um, and I would say that these people who are doing this without GCs or uh, even 
formulation chemists are amateurs and they're producing inconsistent products and they don't know it. They're getting yeah. an essential oil and they're like, it's fire, brah. It's fire. Right. And yeah. it smells <laughs> um, okay. And then they post their profile online. And I'm like, that is nothing to do with any cannabis plant I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it smells nice. Um, but are you going nice. to get the sativa effect, the Girl Scout cookies you put on your package? Probably not. But, um, you know, we may, may, may not be that mature yet. So at Jetty, we've sort of kicked it up a notch. And in terms of the essential oils, we're really into looking at the formulation now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to tell you that that's not easy at all. Um, yeah, I'd imagine so. It's a very complicated puzzle. Now, if you look at Ethan Rousseau, he just did a seminar recently on the American mm-hmm. Chemical Society and with the American Chemical Society CAN division. And he gave his recommendations on how he would do this. Mm-hmm. And um, hate to tell you, plant-derived people, he doesn't think what you're doing is a good idea for cannabis concentrates. He, he is um, a big supporter of, of steam still, cannabis-derived terpenes added back to concentrates when you're trying to go for a formulation. Yeah. So, um, and, and why didn't relate- just, to find, just to relate this back to my interest in essential oils? Um, they smelled really, really good. They smelled like cannabis. The plant derived smelled like floor cleaner. And mm. I said, there's got to be a way that we can get some of these. And so, uh, you know, we, we started doing R&D and we figured out, uh, basically how to how to make our products uh with cannabis derived yeah and i mean i imagine um there's got to be so much that goes into that because terpenoids are so easily manipulated um through handling and processing and everything so i imagine um that some of that r&d is really focused on how to um keep them maintained, keep them from oxidizing, keep them from having little side reactions or whatever that, that might um, end up having so, a different so representation a, at the end. This is an interesting thing you bring up because I think that chasing the cannabis essential oil profile is like chasing a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. You think you're getting close, but you're not. <laughs> yeah. Every, every known method of essential oil extraction, hear me on this, is imperfect at representing the full essential oil of the plant. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. You can do your best, and there are methods that get really close. But when we're only analyzing at most 42 terpenes in most of the cannabis Mm -hmm. lab, what are you looking at? You're looking at the most important compounds in terms of uh, mass percent, but mm-hmm. we don't know if some of these minor components are helping modulate the major components. Mm-hmm. And I would say that they are because we know you can't mix plant derived together and get cannabis uh, essential oil. So every method out there 
is in its own way imperfect. And I think we have to accept that. Um, I'm not going to say it's going to be forever. There's some really, really intelligent people out there, much smarter than me, uh, possibly with some hybrids, hybrid methods, they can figure out how to get uh, a flower profile. Um, But like I've seen a couple companies come out with systems, um, pre-baked systems that they're selling cannabis companies and it's the same it's fire bra um <laughs> terps bro terps bra you know and you've you know some of these systems are a lot of money and yeah, they're yeah. producing essential oil profiles that are incomplete um and i feel like they're misrepresenting it yeah there's nothing wrong with having an incomplete essential oil profile if you know you do yeah exactly and yep public really likes and that's fine but if you're saying this is og kush Mm -hmm. and you really only have most of the monoterpenes or you have very few of the monoterpenes the most disgusting terpenes and you know your terpenoids are they've been boiled off or they've been oxidized well um, I think we really need to take a page out of the essential oil chemist mm-hmm. uh, and start looking at more minor components. This is hard work. Uh, but if you look at um, these assays that the essential oil people do, they're 60 plus compounds. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I think that the cannabis labs, if they really want to do a good job helping companies push forward, um, they have to increase the number of molecules they're testing. Yep. Perhaps we have to go to. Here's the problem with using essential oil labs. Cannabis derived terpenes are considered cannabis by the CSA. Mm-hmm. If you read the direct definition, they're yeah. cannabis. So, how am I supposed to intake a cannabis sample at an essential oil lab if I know yep. the law? If I don't know the law, fine. But uh, I can just call it hemp, I guess. Here's some. Here's some hemp oil, buddy. So right. yeah. fundamentally, we have, again, we're coming on a legal problem that's um, weird. So mm-hmm. I can grow a, a hemp cultivar, and I can pull the essential oils, however I want to do that, and I can have them tested. And, uh, you know, but maybe that's not the profile people want. Right. And you're touching on something that is a big issue in the marketing of extracts right now. There's a term, and some of our listeners have heard me rant about it already, but we'll probably rant about it again. The term full spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested to know your your thoughts on that because the things we're talking about right now highlight uh, why that term may be problematic. Um, and I see it applied to all sorts of different products. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on that? Full spectrum is a marketing term yeah. unless they go out and define certain levels. Um, you'd have to go back to the flower or go yeah. back to the biomass and say, I have X percent of minor cannabinoids in my extract. I am going to represent those minor cannabinoids at a certain level, and I'm not going to lose any of them. If you want to talk about flavonoids, if you want to yeah. talk about, um, what am I somebody thinking? Uh, let's just leave it as flavonoids right now because that's a buzzword for everybody because of the right. 
exponential anti-cancer properties in canflavin. Yep. You need to show that with analytical work, not just saying, oh, my, my, my uh, extract is mild. I don't know any testing lab that's testing for flavonoids. There may be. So until there's an accepted definition of what is full spectrum based on what you're starting with, it's a marketing term. Now, the only thing I would basically um, say is if you're taking CBD isolate or you're taking THCA isolate at 99 plus, that's not full spectrum. But if you look at some of these distillates, they test at 85, 90, 95% THC, and then you have 5% more cannabinoids. Well, they're in there. I mean, there may not be much, but they're in there. <laughs> yeah. So full spectrum. Um, it's really used in the CBD market to uh, lately to distinguish between um, the uh, CBD isolate chasers and then mm -hmm. the people who are doing CBD distillate. Yeah. So I guess, you know, if you want to talk about that, then that's fine. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to use an isolate product myself, um, yeah. unless it was for some of the indications that you know are fairly uh, well established. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe people when they say it helps arthritis topically. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that if you look at the cannabinoid uh, absorption, mm -hmm. if it's an instant effect. Um, I would refer you to the Russo talk, uh, No Strain, No Gain, yep, and yeah. he talks about that. Um, we know that it helps with certain types of epilepsy. Um, everything else is, you know, try it and see if it helps. Right, exactly. Um, the way that I've described it is, you know, isol isolates have a certain place in the tool chest. Like, they're all... You know, these are all interesting tools and have certain appropriate applications. And we still have a long way to go to even tease out um, the different appropriate applications of different types of isolated compounds and extracts and, and the benefits and, and disadvantages of those things. And because um, I, I run into a, a lot of folks that, you know, just flat out don't want to recognize any therapeutic value in CBD isolate or THC isolate. And I'm like, well, you can't really go that far. I mean, certainly it's in some contexts, it seems to be limited uh, compared to extracts that seem to have more phytochemical diversity. And there's interesting work going on. Like um, I'm always worried I'm going to mispronounce his name. I think it's David Miri in Israel that's doing some interesting work looking at, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I think over like right now at the last paper I saw that they put out something over 50 cannabinoids and well over a hundred terpenoids that they're trying to monitor and manipulate and try to understand what those differences are. But we still have a ways to go. Is he the one who did the, the TED Talk? Um, he, he might have. I don't remember. Um, I think so, okay. but I might I might be misremembering There was that. an Israeli, I'm, I'm sorry that we're doing this on live uh, podcast, and I'm, I don't know his name, but if there's a good TED Talk where uh, this scientist claims to have such an understanding of the, the molecules in cannabis that uh, if one chemovara patient is using 
is for some reason not available anymore, uh, his group can find a replacement. So oh, wow. I would love to see uh, his assay. Um, mm-hmm. I basically am. I feel like people don't like sharing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working on making my own, but it would be really nice if I could write somebody like that an email and they could give me their GC condition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, I also want to point out too that essentially we're we're the nutraceutical industry yeah. of this yep. plant. And GW Pharma knows a lot more about it than we do. And yep. they keep it they keep it close to their chest. So um I'm not saying that making uh one drug one compound, one drug is the way to go, but um I you can only do so much with what you have time to do. And I'm really glad that there's people like Miri out there doing this. Uh, I simply don't have the training to, uh, to do something like this by myself. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's uh, that type of work. I, I watch with a lot of excitement and cautious optimism <laughs> to, to see what, what wisdom can be, can be gleaned out of it. I hope to, you know, maybe eventually be able to, um, try to interview him or someone on his team. It'd be fascinating to to get more information about, you know, whatever they're willing to share of exactly what's going right. on. Right. Um, so let's talk about um, some common misconceptions that you run into um, in the public and the industry broadly about extracts and terpenes. What are some of the kind of big two or three misconceptions that you commonly encounter? Um, I mean, it's you always hear it with hydrocarbon extract. That it's really bad for you because it has hydrocarbon in it. Yeah, yeah. And if you're talking about distillate, it's simply not the case. Um, the temperatures that we use, um, you just you just don't really see any hydrocarbons that we're using extractions. If you do see hydrocarbons, they're from the plant, and you're going to see hexane, heptane, something like that. Uh, another misconception. Um, is that um, distillate is just uh, hot dog water. Um, again, you can start from single chemovar, or you can start with uh, lips and assholes, which, you know, either way, they can get you to distillate. Mm-hmm. Um, what's really nice with distillate, and you can see this, is if you start with better material, you get cleaner material. So, um, you know, if I had access to a whole plant or flower, I would use nothing but that. Um, another misconception about uh, terpenes is that terpenoids, about essential oils, is they're nothing but terpenes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know that's not true. Um, let me think if there's any other ones. Um, Oh yeah, um, that a lot of people are out there right now. Um, you know, there's been a problem with vaping and this yeah, vaping yeah. related illness, and people are uh, identifying culprits and saying, "Oh, I'm just going to go smoke flour," and 
mean, there's a lot of problems to smoking flour in terms of if you look at smoking cigarettes, it's the tar in it. Mm-hmm. So I would love to figure out what's going on with vape because I don't like smoking um, as much as I like vaping because I feel like the flavors get lost in the smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying I don't uh, enjoy a joint, um, but it's different. The same thing with concentrates. Everyone's like, I'm just going to dab. Well, if the fundamental problem is something that's been going on in the plant, well, dabbing is not going to be any better. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess um, to address this current crisis, uh, and that's what I would say is sort of a misconception, is that the problem may only be in vaping products. Uh, we might have a problem in the pesticides we've switched to, mm-hmm. or there might be a problem in that the black market is the only one with pesticides now, and that the biomass that used to have pesticide that we weren't testing for would end up getting diluted with biomass that didn't have pesticides. So now your right. black market vapes are seeing levels of pesticides that are unbelievable. I really don't know what's going on. I'm going to leave it to people like the CDC, the FDA, the Mayo Clinic um, to, to, to wrangle what's going on. But, um, you know, uh, we're willing and we're testing for everything that's been thrown out so far. Yeah. Um, I wish I uh, had some more misconceptions. Uh, um, I guess that's out of all I've got. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the your thoughts on the vape issue. I'm glad you brought that up because it is um it is really interesting. I think the the count is now nineteen people have that have died. They're linking to the stuff and, and that's always difficult to decipher as far as what commonalities are there between you know, all of these cases. And I think that's one of the issues that the CDC brought up is that it's, it's hard to find commonalities. They are seeing like mycobutanil and a lot of these extracts, which when heated turns to hydrogen cyanide. And there's some concerns about um, if you're putting THC extracts into chambers that may be previously held um, like nicotine-based e-cig juice, you might be making formalin when it's heated, which is more toxic than formaldehyde. But that seems to be, I don't know, I'm I'm not sure how likely that actually is, that that's happening. You know, there's concerns about maybe it's cheap uh, cartridges and there are things leaching out, which I know talking to some of the labs in California where they've got a, you know, they're required in California to test the extracts after they've been filled into the cartridges and so now they're they're catching things like metals that are leaching out of these yep. poorly made um cartridges um, right. but it, it is a, a confusing thing we don't we really don't know yet and i think the mayo clinic put out a report just a couple days ago saying that now they're from looking at tissue samples and things like that they're seeing evidence of chemical burns in the lungs and they think yep. that that might be a commonality, but they don't know what's causing those chemical burns. They just say it looks similar to things that they've seen in uh, people that are exposed to industrial fumes in unsafe work environments and things like that. So, yeah, we'll see. And, and, you know, 
Okay. Um, so I guess if I was doing any hunting, I would look for something that's been introduced recently uh, because we're seeing healthy, healthy patients develop yeah. acute symptoms quickly. So that's yeah. why when the vitamin E acetate was the culprit and we're talking about lipoid pneumonia based on just the uh, radiographs, CTs and the x-rays, you know, it seems like a, a very good culprit because uh, the vitamin E acetate uh, cutting agents very new. It's within, it fits yeah. the timeline. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if this chromium uh, tainted silver solder that people are suspecting in cheaper carts, I don't know if that came out six months ago. Right. Something right. changed. And mm -hmm. people are trying to tell us that, oh, well, we never saw the effects before. And I'm going to call shenanigans on that. Because if you have healthy young men dropping dead, getting super sick in a matter of months, and the public already hates vaping, the right. nanny state already hates vaping, they're looking for any excuse to get rid of it, um, they're, going to, uh, they're going to find something. So yeah. I don't know what's going on. It could be multiple things. Uh, like I said, I can test for heavy metals. I can test for lipids. Um, I can test pre-filled cartridges. I can test them beforehand for metals. Um, there are, I mean, we're looking at partnering uh, with testing labs that have uh, smoking devices and looking at things like formalin, other toxic compounds that are produced. We can sample those. And... Um, I would just say that we're on it and that it appears that the, the problem is 95 plus percent contained in the black market. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe this is an intentional thing. Um, I don't believe black market, even black market people would try to kill their customers. Right. I think something came along. It was a money decision. Mm -hmm. And they made a go to switch over to make more money. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's just something that, you know, whatever, if it's an additive or whatever, it's something that got used without the sense that it was going to cause a problem and just move forward because it made economic sense or whatever. And, you know, and now we're learning from that. Um, so it'll be interesting. And this ties into... Um, Another question that I wanted to ask you is what advice would you give consumers um, that are trying to now carefully evaluate the quality of extracts and the quality of extract producers? Um, what's some advice you could give them to try to, you know, um, stay safe and, and not even just stay safe, but also to find, you know, the higher quality products that are out there and, and support the higher quality producers out there too. Um, what are some things they can look for, questions they should be asking, that sort of thing? Um, wow, that is a really, really good and hard to answer question. <laughs> um, <laughs> excuse me. I don't want to be responsible for anyone, uh, exposing themselves to, um, uh, a vape cart that I thought was safe. It isn't, yeah. um, especially because of the hardware, potential hardware problem. That mm -hmm. scares me. 
Yeah. That really, really of everything out there that scares me because those cartridges have already been packaged, tested. They're on the market, legal market, illegal market. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes things will stay on shelves three months. Right. And uh, I, there's no way you can test for uh, presence of heavy metals without taking your cart and uh, opening it up and yep. draining the liquid out. So in terms of sort of other issues, uh, the legal producers in California, we do test for heavy metals. Um, the tests take about 10 days turnaround. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if there's any type of heavy metal in there. Uh, So that's one of the things we do with due diligence. Um, The, I I really hate to be like this. I wouldn't buy anything that doesn't have cannabis drives, essential oils. And furthermore is free of diluent and thickener. Most of the plant derived are have thickener or diluent in them because those compounds are too strong mm-hmm. uh, if yeah. you if you add them at the levels that you need to make the device work. Now I'm not going to say everybody does, but I sure as heck wish we had a list of ingredients in California so that I would know to tell you this plant derived safe, this one isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to have to say stick to the cannabis derived. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few producers doing this. Um, I don't really want to necessarily get it into naming who they are. No, no. Um, I feel like that's being biased, but I would first say stick to cannabis derived. Um, hopefully the, that will be on the label. Um, another thing. Uh, potentially what would I do? I would stick to PAX cartridges. Um, I feel like there's a much smaller chance of the PAX cartridge you're going to end up with some kind of heavy metal problem. Mm -hmm. Another thing I want to recommend for the public is do not make dragon clouds with your THC vape. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. do not need to fully inhale it either. Yeah. Because you can just hold it in your you can just hold it in your mouth and that stuff will absorb. Yeah. yeah. It's not like smoking flour. And even then, um, because it, the higher you heat those uh THC molecules and the terpene terpenoids or whatever, uh, we do know that heating terpene serpenoids can lead to unfavorable reactions, the sneeze, and also uh, burning terpenes uh, has been shown to make, uh, I believe it's methyl acrylone and benzene. Yeah, yeah yep, so exactly. So keep it around 400 degrees, please. Um, so my final piece of advice in terms of shopping is buy somebody that has a barcode or something that else that allows you to trace your 
the tests back to the actual lab. Yeah. Don't take yeah. any chances with, trust me, bro, it's tested. <laughs> if you get a cartridge that has no barcode on it and says, this has been triply tested and there's no way for you to verify that, don't buy that. Don't yeah. use that. Um, I guess yeah, that's about all I've done. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really good. It's a you know kind of a precautionary approach in in this these times of you know a lot of unknown and and hard to answer questions. I think that's the better route to take until we have more information and can make more informed decisions um, to stay safe. Um, that's kind of the way we have to be. Um, well, and to bring this conversation around you've been talking with me for almost an hour now i really really appreciate you being willing to give up so much of your time um i wanted to um kind of cap this off with a couple of um broader questions not necessarily just about extracts and essential oils but you could take in that direction if you want to um one i wanted to um kind of understand on a broader scope what are your um research interests with cannabis and beyond are you really are essential oils really uh, the primary focus of your attention, or do you have other things in mind that are that have kind of got your attention as well? I would like to see. I would like to do uh, and be part of formulation research, mm-hmm. and um, whether it's using essential oils or not, whether it's using uh, newly available cannabinoids. Um, I think if we're going to be the nutraceutical industry, we have to partner with um, actual pharmacologists and doctors Mm -hmm. who are doing tests um, in a scientifically rigorous manner, even if they are survey tests um, that can give us good data. I would be interested in doing that. Um, The indication I would be most interested in doing is pain. Chronic pain. Yeah. Yeah. I worked as a, I don't know if anybody knows this, I worked as an MRI technologist for a minute. And uh, back pain is a terrible thing. Yep. I live with it every day. Yep. I have seen so many people suffering from this. If there's anything that we can do with cannabis, cannabis derived essential oils to uh, ease the suffering and help them uh, return to um, a normal life. Um, I would like to be a part of that. Um, I would say that uh, I would provide free essential oils to, you know, from my own company once that starts to uh, help this research. You know, free time, I'll take, I'll take free enema, or uh, I almost said NMR, uh, MRIs, (laughs) um, free MRI tech there for you folks. Yeah. Um, in terms of my other interest, essential oil uh, formulation, um, more so under, like as I was saying, understanding the rules for these uh, vape or uh, tinctures or wherever uh, essential oils might be helpful in producing what people like to call a hybrid sativa indica effect. Because I think people are really comfortable with talking about flour that does that. And I think right. when someone goes and, and shops for a, a vape device or other device using essential oils, I think they should be able to trust the packaging and not uh, worry about having a bad experience when they know that indica has really helped them and then 
They buy an indica pen and it makes them anxious. Right. So. Yeah. And what do you hope to see with, you know, as the industry is evolving? I mean, what some of what you said touches on some of this, but um, how do you hope to see the industry, the cannabis industry specifically evolve over the next, you know, let's say five or 10 years? Um, Stop making false claims. Stop yeah, making yeah. overreaching claims. Yeah, you're just yeah. you're just crapping on yourself. You're making a you're making a buck now, but you're going to alienate the public. This is going to become the next snake oil. Yeah, and yeah. then you're going to end up with a situation where uh, recreational use is going to dominate, uh, and then we lose the we lose the mainstream and that yeah. whole potential to address issues. Uh, like back pain, get funding, stop, mm -hmm. just stop. Like you cannot, you cannot make these blatant claims. They're, they're not good for the industry. Instead, spend your time trying to get together with scientists and doctors and help people who are coming to this from, uh, you know, a perspective of having medicine help them point, point them to uh, a good product. And I think this is, as you were talking about Miri's doing this, um, I know that um, there are several companies out there uh, that help match patients to products. Mm -hmm. I would like to see, I would like to see dispensaries, uh, places people will go in to try a cannabis product for the first time be able to pop over to a website, partner with somebody that they trust who's worked with doctors, I'd love to see this, and be able to say, hey, this is what they say will help you out. Or like, well, here's another group that, you know, we'll, we'll mm -hmm. talk about this. Yeah. And here's your option. So um, that's, I think that's an important thing. Another important thing, and I know that uh, some really, really good people are on this, is providing uh, products that aren't really high THC, mm -hmm. providing yeah. products that are also CBD, other cannabinoids, uh, where CBD is the majority player and THC is a minor player. Yeah. And I think that people might have, uh, who, who come to this outside might have better experiences. Yeah, and now with CBG getting so popular too, um, I'm sure we'll start to see more of those those products coming around as well. Especially in the in the hemp side of things, CBG um, chemovirus have gotten really popular this year. There's a lot of CBG dominant material in the ground here in Oregon that's getting harvested as we speak. So, um, yeah, I I really echo a lot of what you just said. I I really wish that companies would reel in the claims and just speak honestly about we about what we do and, and don't know about cannabis and, and what it can do. It's, it's okay <laughs> to admit that there's a lot we don't know and that we know that it's helping a lot of people. We don't exactly know why in a lot of those cases um, and that it's a very personalized, it's a very individual thing um, as far as someone's um, relationship with, with cannabis and the outcomes they're, they're getting and everything. Something I interviewed um, Ethan Russo um, about a month or so ago, and we talked a little bit about, you know, there's obviously the chemical profile of the canvas product is an important piece of the therapeutic response you're going to get. But then you've also got the tone of your endocannabinoid system that is another piece to that puzzle. And we still don't even have good tools to 
measure that. And that's going to be a long way off before we're ever able to really, um, in a sophisticated way, characterize our own endocannabinoid systems to make really, um, you know, evidence-driven decisions about the products, you know, that need to be used for what conditions. And there's a lot of research moving in that direction, but yeah, we need to be honest about. Let me, let, me, let me give you a couple. Uh, let me give you a couple of studies I've seen out there. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Jeff Tarrant at Emerald uh, Emerald Conference in March in San Diego mm-hmm. presented brainwave scans using oh. uh, sort of your sativa type, indica type, and patient interviews, and it was able to show a difference between the chemovars in terms of uh, relaxation uh, mm. versus like agitation. So oh, brain scan, right? Uh, e, it was e, EEG, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's one tool. And also, I'm going to remind uh, people that we have uh, we have um, functional MRI now. Yeah. Where yeah. Uh, you can, uh, you know, uh, indulge in a certain dose of cannab- uh, cannabis, and we can monitor your uh, the brain's response in real time. To imagery, to sound. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, I can even figure. I can even figure a way so you can smoke MRI in that, or smoke. Sorry, smoke cannabis inside that MRI, and we yeah. can scan. We can scan you right away. Right. Um, yeah. So there are tools out there. Um, I think it's just getting people uh, because we can't. Typically, you can't get federal funding, so yeah. it's hard to get academics to do this kind of work. But yep. um, you know, I'm sure there's some other tools. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, a clinical researcher, so. Yeah. Well, yeah. It. Um, yeah. There's. There's definitely um, something to be said for gaining that support for exploratory and investigative um, research. I hope to see it happen. And and on your note about you know the snake oil stuff, you know that's a big concern I have right now, primarily because of the CBD industry, and the oh. way that CBD is blowing up so much and you see, you know, these products all over the place and now they're in places like, you know, Fred Meyer and CVS and Walgreens. And, um, you know, some of these products have direct, um, like health applications as part of the primary labeling, which obviously is, um, uh, against FDA rules to do. Um, but regardless, they're, they're doing it and it is developing this, sense of like oh this is another snake oil thing and and for some of those products it it is honestly um depending on how they're formulated what they are and everything um and what claims are actually being made but that's that's a big concern i have and as a scientist i'm just like oh man it's nice that there's starting to be so much interest because you know we need that support so we can you know try to get mm-hmm. grants and be able to do this interesting work to to answer questions um, and to see that kind of behavior happen um, is really frustrating um, because it it does just hurt the rest of us that are that are wanting to see some good things happen in the future. So, anybody yep. listening, if you're if you're one of these CBD companies doing this, please stop. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. You know, it's what you're doing is illegal. Yeah, I guess no one cares. I mean, what I'm doing is illegal too. So, um, <laughs> uh, what would I say to that? Um, 
you know, if you want to, if you want to make claims, uh, please make references to the literature that you're uh, claiming. Um, yeah. Maybe put a link on your webpage so people can take a look at the original paper. There's some reviews out there that talk about what CBD can and can't do based yeah. on clinical trials. Um, yeah, and don't make I, claims. I just, I, yeah, I'm really. It's just, I, as I was saying before, with these, you know, any claims that we make about the plant, we really can burn people that are new to this industry. Yeah. And we burn them with false claims about cannabis. I find it very difficult that they would support legislation to repeal right. the um, current situation and pro yeah. and prohibition. So. Um, be really careful what you do because not only will you perhaps ruin uh, a prohibition lift, but you may actually get yourselves even more regulated. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sorry that you went ahead and I don't know. I mean, we've just been saying this for a while. It's like uh, it's, you know, it's a new part of the green rush and I don't know what to tell mm -hmm. you. I know you got to feed your families too. But I mean, just I'm just praying that y'all don't screw it up for everybody else. Yeah. Um, please do it right. Yeah, and and something I I generally recommend to people is even though the federal regulatory environment is so kind of screwy right now, like you know, look at the FDA rules, look at good manufacturing practices, look at you know. Um, the way that packaging and labeling is regulated for dietary supplements and start to, you know, build that into your, your operations and your processes. And then you can use that as a marketing tool to demonstrate commitment to quality and doing things right and honesty and integrity. And, you know, and that can hopefully help drive sales, you know, um, and not how have about to a link? Make... How about a link to your lab test? Right. Yeah. And we, know that, we know that some people are, are lying already. They're oh, lying yeah, about yeah. the CBD content. Um, so again, to the public, um, pressure the company you like. If you like a product and you can't see their lab test, send them an email. Yep. Say, hey, can you all throw in a link? It's not that hard to do. Yeah. And, and if, they, uh, if they act dodgy, then obviously that's a red flag. And um, yeah. All right. Well, is there, um, I want to give you a moment if there's anything else we haven't gotten into that you want to share, or if you just want to let people know, um, how to connect with you on social media and everything and follow some of your work. I want to just kind of briefly give you the next couple of minutes as a platform to say anything you want to say in closing remarks. So, um, you can follow me at Dr. Jack Hughes on Instagram. Um, Future 4200, I'm, you know, sometimes I'm more active than not, but, it, you know, you can look up and you can see all the stupid things I've said on there. Um, <laughs> usually I it's try to good, be helpful. It's a good resource. Um, right. Uh, one of the things, you know, I want to mention is that we're pushing forward, doing uh, essential oil research, trying to get a little company off the ground. You are interested in doing an essential oil uh, research and want to invest in somebody who uh, wants to do it right, uh, go ahead and hit me up. Um, there's a lot of interest out there. So um, 
it's going to happen. Um, we're going to make progress and we're going to see if there's anything to this uh, entourage effect or if I just make a product for you that's really cool to smoke um, or cool to use because it smells like the actual cannabis plant. Um, yeah. I know people, uh, you know, I, I don't come from a, um, too long of a cannabis heritage. I would say, you know, since college, but I mean, just, just doing this essential research, I would say that, you know, it's really amazing what we can do folks now with these essential oils. And I wish I had one right here for aromatherapy and show you. Yeah. It's, I think in, in and of themselves, they might be valuable for aromatherapy and just putting yeah. you in a good mood. Yeah. Um, so if if you had you have a chance, you know, to uh, to get a hold of a good cannabis essential oil, not the schlock they sell on Amazon, um, <laughs> you know, give it a try. Uh, see see if you like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I have an essential oil diffuser in the living room. I use all the time. Um, yeah. We used it uh, when my wife was giving birth. We used it as a therapeutic tool to try to help you know, keep her calm and, and everything can definitely attest to the the benefits of aromatherapy for sure. And that's something I've wondered, you know, about um, cannabis essential oils, how that would translate into aromatherapy, um, just like in a diffuser or something. So it, it's interesting there is uh, it, it does, it does work. Um, and I'm not going to give away any secrets here, but yeah, uh, <laughs> you can't just do it and expect it to work. Yeah. So um, you know, it's something that I'm interested in because, you know, I, that's what I love about my job is that I get to go and I get to crack a little sample vial of <laughs> all these different cannabis essential oils. And I'm like, ah, that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do you have any, um, as just a question that just popped in my head, but do you have any um, cultivars, chemovars, uh, that are your favorites that you just really love the smells of? Um, I really am, I really am more favorable to the Kushes. I love that mm. limonene, uh, balance with that, uh, balance with the myrcene and a little bit of pinene smell. Yeah. Uh, the beta caryophyllene, it's not as, as strong, of course. Right, but uh, I guess yeah, I'm I'm more partial to the fruitier ones. But I want to just say, like, you go through phases. Yeah, yeah it's kind yeah. of like you know my journey uh, drinking beer. Yeah. Um, sometimes I want a lager and IPA. Sometimes I want American ale, and uh, it's. Uh, but yeah, if I had to pick one, it would be the cushions. <laughs> All right. Very well. All right, everybody, this has been Wyeth Calloway. Wyeth, thanks so much for um, taking the time and, and having this conversation. I think we um, shared a lot of great information today that um, our listeners will enjoy. I encourage everyone um, listening to um, check him out on Instagram at Dr. Jack Hughes, and you can uh, find him at times on the 4200 
uh, forum. And in general, if you're not familiar with the 4200 forum, um, there's a lot of great exchanges of information about extraction and terpenes and all sorts of things there that I always recommend uh, if you will check it out. It's a good kind of open source forum um, for uh, for information and see what people are experimenting with and getting up to in the extraction space. So anyway, with that, um, thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to um, being with you again next time. Thanks, and take it easy. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book, available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. The Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.